Hey everyone, this is Tom Salemi of Device Talks. Welcome to our newest member of the Device Talks podcast family. It's called Medtronic Talks. Our constant search to find new ways to bring you insights in the medtech industry led us to the fine, fine folks at Medtronic. They've agreed to make their senior leaders available to us and to you. In each episode, we'll discuss the opportunities and challenges facing one of medtech's clear leaders, so you'll have an inside view on what makes Medtronic go. We'll ask the questions, Medtronic will provide the answers, and our great network of sponsors makes it all possible. So sit back, hop on a treadmill, take the dog for a walk, whatever you do when you listen to a great podcast, and let's listen to how Medtronic is getting the job done. Let's go. Hey everyone, this is Tom Salemi of Device Talks. Welcome to this episode of the Medtronic Talks podcast. Today we're speaking with Dan Volds. Dan is president of Medtronic's Neurovascular Group. He took over as president in March 2021. Prior to that, he was vice president of Medtronic's America's MITG group. So he's uh, new into the uh, into leading the neurovascular business, but he certainly knows his stuff. And I'm sure you'll enjoy this conversation. But before we begin our interview with Dan Vols, I'd like to bring in our sponsor of this episode of the Medtronic Talks podcast, Resonetics. I'm speaking with Kevin Hartke. Kevin is the Chief Technology Officer at Resonetics. Kevin, thanks for joining us. Tell us a bit about Resonetics. Yeah, Resonetics is headquartered in Nashville, New Hampshire, uh, with a total of 11 locations across the U.S., Costa Rica, Switzerland, and Israel. We have 1,300 plus team members with over 10% of those individuals holding a technical degree. Uh, We are 100% focused on the medtech market, and we provide industry-leading advanced engineering and manufacturing solutions in raw material, components, and sub-assemblies. And our technology focus is in thin wall stainless steel tubing and precious metal marker bands, Uh, We provide services in laser processing, nitinol processing, metal fabrication, and smart device sensors. Uh, We provide additional capability and services in complete device design and development, and also finished clean room assembly. And then finally, we have an in-house automated solutions group, which designs and manufactures all of our own capital equipment. All right, we'll hear more from Kevin Hartke a little later in the podcast. If you want to find out more information about Resonetics, go to Resonetics. Well, Dan Voles, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Tom. It's great to be with you. Prior to my pushing record, we uh, we went through the exciting adventure you had relocating to Irvine, and we can skip back into that in a moment. But uh, I want to sort of start at the very beginning and just understand uh, how was it that you found your way uh, into the med tech industry, and where did you get your start? I, I listened to your interview with one of my colleagues, Gio, and I can't lay claim <laughs> to being a basketball coach at any point, but... Um, Interview's over, I, Dan. I, Forget about it. That's all I want. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I have a pretty a pretty romantic story too. My dad's <laughs> best friend was a was a medical recruiter, ah. and I was in my early teens, and he was talking to me about the medical device industry, and in particular sales in the medical device industry, and it uh, it just resonated a lot with me. Um, the the opportunity to to understand anatomy and physiology, um, to be in in the surgical arena um, with really bright, talented people, um, the opportunity to to help people um, that I think stuck most squarely with me then, and seemed like something that I wanted to get involved in an area where I felt like we I was making a difference, mm-hmm. and uh, boy, I. I 
I couldn't have projected how real that would be or, or how meaningful that would be. And, and so I started with U.S. Surgical uh, in 1999, um, which is out of Norwalk, Connecticut. U.S. Surgical became a part of Tyco Healthcare. Tyco Healthcare then separated and became Covidian. Covidian mm-hmm. was acquired by, by Medtronic. So that's my, my 22 years in, in a nutshell. Started with cutting grass for a medical recruiter. Uh, and here we are today in, in Irvine, California. That's outstanding. So how, how did you, what was the path you took into the industry? You were looking, did you pursue marketing or sales or? or uh... I came in through sales and, and lived in, uh, in the Northeast of, of the U.S. And, and fortunately, we were based out of Norwalk, Connecticut, where I could toggle between, between sales and marketing roles, which was, which was wonderful. And, and when I got into, into marketing, um, was when I really started to develop a taste for strategy and and longer term business strategy. And um, while I while I love the execution side of the business, um, I really really enjoy the construction of the longer term plan of of where we're headed, and then making sure that that we execute against that plan. But uh, I came in initially through the sales organization. Twenty two years have been split. Pretty evenly, I'd love to say that I engineered it this way, but half of that time has been in in global business ownership roles, deciding what to build and who to buy, and the global financial performance. And the other half has been in in regional commercial roles. So really, both sides of, of the equation, and uh, and just a just a wonderful twenty two years. And you assumed the leadership role, the president role at the neurovascular business uh, just earlier this year. Uh, how did that switch come about? And, and is this an area where you've you've had interest in the past? Yeah, I have. So I was with, I mentioned I was with Covidian and uh, Covidian acquired a company uh, named EV3, which was a neurovascular business. Sure. And so I wasn't, I wasn't uh, attached to that business at the time. I was on the surgical side of the house. But I looked at this business with quite a, vin- a bit of envy. Um, it was it was fast growth. Um, it was exciting. It was innovative, and it was loaded with purpose. And you didn't have to be in the business to realize that that's what was in this space. And 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 so I uh, I really did look at it with a uh, with a bit of envy. I was uh, leading the Americas for MITG, which is one of Medtronic's four four groups. Um, prior to our reorganization, I was running the Americas um, for MITG when this opportunity opened up, and it was a pretty easy yes for me. It's a great point about the neurovascular space, and is the sort of the excitement and the immediacy of it come from just the how essential time is when it comes to to saving a patient? Is that sort of does that that necessity to get to patients and treat patients quickly in the, in the emergency room and having a stroke or whatever sort of problem, does that sort of carry back to all, all throughout that everyone is interested in, in ensuring that everyone sees speed as, as essential and everyone sort of is, is moving yeah. at that sort of pace. Is, is, is there a carry over there? Yeah, for sure. And I'll even back up a little bit, a little bit more. Stroke touches just about every one of us in some way. So 25% of us will have a stroke. Um, two out of three households will experience a stroke. Greater than 90% of us will have a family member that experiences stroke. So you and I, unfortunately, and anybody listening to this podcast, 
there's a really good chance that most of us will, will be or have been touched by a stroke at some point. So there's massive global reach to that. So that's, that's the starting point. And, and when you look at the number of strokes that occur during the course of a year, there'll be 14 million strokes that happen this year, mm-hmm. and only 2 million of those will be treated. Wow. So you get 12 million strokes around the world uh, that, that don't have access to care for some reason. One of those reasons is speed that mm-hmm. we didn't get to them quickly enough. And, and you, you articulated that really well. It's that the, the phrase time is brain is paramount in, in the stroke space. And for every second that you don't treat uh, blood flow uh, to the brain or the stoppage of blood flow to the brain, you lose about 30,000 brain cells and almost 2 million brain cells every minute. So time is brain is real. And the longer you wait, the greater the negative impact of that stroke is going to be. So that's half of it is figuring out how to speed uh, access to care. And then the other is just basic access to care, that there are parts of the world that they don't have stroke treatment at all. So that's the two-pronged approach. We've got, we've got to innovate inside the therapy and make sure that people, that the 2 million that get care, get the best care they could possibly get. Mm-hmm. And and on the other side of the equation, it's how do we speed up care to make sure that people get into the lab as quickly as possible? And how do we reach the corners of the earth where stroke care doesn't exist at all today? That's certainly a part of, of our mission. It certainly is a unique kind of patient group in that with the other businesses, with diabetes, for example, you have people who manage their diabetes. You have uh, CRM, you have people who have uh, uh, atrial fibrillation, they, they, it becomes a patient population who know what they have, whereas stroke is so binary. You go from being not a not a stroke victim or person who's had a stroke to immediately becoming part of that community that doesn't really exist. How, how is that different in terms of engaging with, I don't even know if you engage with patients uh, in, in the neurovascular space because it it's like a flip of a switch to go from being not part of your community to part of your community in literally seconds. Yeah. And so we do have to engage and, and because identification is such a critical piece of this. Yeah. And there's a, there's a broad global campaign called fast. If, if your face is drooping, if your arm is numb, if Mm -hmm. your speech is slurred, it's time to call emergency services and, so the patient engagement component is on the identification piece. And there's a level of complexity there, too, because 20% of strokes occur during the middle of the night. And mm. so the patient wakes up and, and is experiencing some of, these, some of these symptoms. And so, yes, there is a patient, a patient engagement component. It's really focused on, on the identification of when it happens. Is that twenty percent over the middle of the night? Is that is that just a factor of that being twenty percent of of the of the twenty four hour calendar? There's no yeah. yeah, interesting. So how do you? Well, what what is the what is the neurovascular market look like in terms of competition? It's there's a, there are a lot of players in the space, a lot of larger companies and a lot of smaller companies too who are creating retrieval devices and other other tech. Absolutely. How, how do you sort of how does Medtronic operate in in this sort of environment? I would take a quick break to speak with Kevin Hartke of Resonetics. Kevin, how does Resonetics help companies in the R&D space? And what are you doing to help development engineers? Yes, Tom. So we offer development engineers access to our Lightspeed Lab. And the Lightspeed Lab provides quick turn 
prototyping services, employing over 100 engineers and technicians with dedicated processing and support equipment across nine locations. The primary focus of this team is to shorten the design cycle. And we do this through engineer-to-engineer communication, quick turn quoting, and prototype delivery. And if your device development is successful and requires volume manufacturing, we provide a direct path to production through our phase gate transfer process. And finally, I know Resonetics has invested heavily in developing new technologies, but what are some of the unique capabilities that you're working on that will benefit the metal device industry? Yeah, Tom, I'd like to highlight a few of our latest technology developments that support the neurovascular market. Now, the first is microablate 3D laser machining. This technology employs state-of-the-art ultra-fast lasers and enables the fabrication of 3D components that are on the scale of a grain of rice. So we can make these really small components in a wide range of material options that are including nitinol, precious metals, stainless steels, and most polymers. Now, the second technology I'd like to highlight is nitinol processing. Now, this technology has been around MedTech for quite a while, but we have developed a set of next-generation tools through our automated solution group that really push this forward and give us the customer a next-generation or next level of capability. The first uh, tool in that tool set is the ultra-fast laser cutting system that provides near-net-shaped parts with no thermal damage and minimizes downstream processing. So we support heat setting with automated liquid salt baths, and they provide superior heat set parameters and really tight control on material AF transition temperatures. And finally, we have automated electropolishing, which enables optimized throughput and really good process control. Now, in addition to the 3D microblade and nitinol processing, we have other technologies and capabilities that support the neurovascular market. And these include laser cut tubing, which support customized catheter delivery systems, centerless grinding, which support guide wire and delivery system components, and laser welding, which provide precise assembly and joining of implants and delivery systems. All right. Well, thanks, Kevin Hartke, for joining us on this episode of the Medtronic Talks podcast. And thanks, of course, to Resonetics for sponsoring. You can find out more information at Resonetics.com. Now, back to our conversation with Dan Voles. How does Medtronic operate in, in this sort of environment? Yeah. And there, it's, it's a high growth, low penetration space. So not surprisingly, there's there's a, a lot of businesses that want to get into that space. Mm-hmm. It's a it's it's a rare bird in in that regard, and that it's it's growing at a very healthy rate, um, with a number of classes of trade inside of the business that are all growing at at very healthy rates. And that penetration is is the therapy is only about ten percent penetrated. So um, there's there's a lot of opportunity and and a lot of obligation, quite honestly, in in the space. So not surprisingly. There's a number of players, and and um, and and a good amount of that has emerged just over the last few years. So Medtronic played a pretty significant role in the stroke space through clinical study mm-hmm. and five landmark studies that published in 2015 that that showed that you could go in and get the clot. That if you had an, an acute ischemic stroke and had a clot that got thrown up to the brain and it stopped blood flow. That, that you could go in and get it. And that was a, a, a major event in, in the stroke space. And, and you know, I'm, I'm proud of the fact that Medtronic had a lot to do with that. Um, and so we still enjoy that distinction in, in this market. We've got uh, 
the number one stent retriever. That device that goes up uh, and gets the clock. We've got the number one flow diversion portfolio. That's the sleeve that you put at the base of an aneurysm to prevent that aneurysm from bursting. We've got the number one liquid embolic, which is an injectable uh, in the event that you're looking to to occlude some of uh, some of the vascular inside the brain. So we've got a, a significant presence from a clinical history standpoint. We continue to lead from the front in in clinical study uh, and design, and from a portfolio standpoint, continuing to iterate on the market leading technologies that we have, and and also invested in therapy innovation and trying to take that care that I talked about before uh, to an even better place. I'll talk a bit about how you, you innovate in the space, maybe looking first at, at clinical trials. Uh, uh, how is it, is it difficult or different in, in putting together those trials, given that, again, you, don't, you can't recruit patients who are going to have a stroke <laughs> and who need treatment? Mm-hmm. How do you, how do you mm-hmm. build the clinical evidence you need to, to demonstrate that the new technology you're developing works? Yeah, and, and it's a pillar of, of this business for sure and, and the space overall. You know, one of the things that I've, I've been most pleased with uh, since, since moving into this role a couple of months ago is the level of intimacy that exists between the physician community and the business. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's extremely unique. And, 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 I, and I think that has a lot to do with the fact that it is still a relatively young space. There's still a lot to be done. And the physician community wants to be involved in advancing the care. Um, so I've been, I've been connected over four months with a, with a remarkable number of physicians who were just as interested in talking to me as I was in talking to them. And, and that's a group that, uh, because they want to talk about, well, here's what I think we could do. Mm-hmm. And, and every one of those conversations produces the two or three most important things that I should do to, to, to move this space forward. And I, and I, that's a gift. And I, and I love that and, and enjoy all of those conversations, but those, the, the clinical studies we build with the physician community and make sure that it has endpoints that are going to be meaningful and enrollment that will be meaningful. And so we have a, a uh, terrific medical affairs group uh, as a part of Medtronic who work very closely with the physician community in, in study design. Well, that, that's, that's a good point about the physicians. I was going to ask that next in that, I would think that because, again, going back to speed being the essence, speed being of the essence and, and, and time equaling brain, that they become accustomed to using a certain tool and they don't have the time or the ability to really to get to know another one. And obviously, they're retraining that where a patient is involved. But I, I imagine if you have a tool that works, that you're you're very reluctant to give it up. How, how difficult is it to sort of get new tools and technology into the hand of the physicians? It sounds like they're hungry for it and they're they're quick adopters if there's something new to be uh, new to be had they are and and they're innovators yeah right? this, this space is built uh stands on the shoulders of of innovators from a clinical perspective and and so there is a tremendous appetite uh to to try new technology and 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 to lean in on the front end of of new technology development that's where I talk about those ideas that come in. There's there's no shortage of, of concepts that are out there within the physician community. And and if we have a new technology, quite frankly, if, if competitors of ours have a new technology, the willingness to try it is high. 
um, because these are these are innovators. They're they're not physicians that that land on something and say this is it. Um, I'm satisfied forever. They're constantly looking to advance the art and give give most technologies the opportunity uh, to do something special. So it's another another pretty powerful dynamic within the space of uh, of the physician com- communities willingness and desire to to try to new technology which for us as an innovator that's a great place for us to be mm-hmm. and, and where does the innovation come from in terms of the what are you focusing on advancing as part of the the devices is it the and i imagine the answer is going to be all of the above but is there a lot of progress to be made in how the retrieval elements are designed to remove a clot is it more in the, the area where the physicians are engaging the device outside the body and, 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 and controlling the, the retrieval device, or is it even something that I'm, I'm not seeing? And I think we'll hit upon some of it when we talk about artificial intelligence, but focusing more on the hardware, where, where are we seeing those advances? Is it materials? Is it design of, of products? Is it a little bit of both? Yeah. It's a, it is a little bit of both. So we just recently launched our pipeline device um, which is the sleeve uh, mm-hmm. that goes at the base of the aneurysm that has a surface modification on it to reduce material thrombogenicity, so the ability of, of a clot to form. That was a surface modification uh, on the device itself and a, and, and a wonderful new technology. We're also, that's on the end effective side, we also innovate on the delivery aspect of it. The physician most often is going up through the groin, finding their way through the vascular highway up to the brain. Massively challenging yeah. for a physician and, and amazing to watch um, the, the, the hands of, of, of a neurointerventionalist navigating that highway up to, up to the point of a clot. And so we, we innovate on the delivery aspect of it. We just launched uh, the first radial access device. So instead of going through the groin, going through the wrist because in some instances you have a, a cleaner shot there. It's also better for the patient. Recoverability is, is better uh, from the wrist versus the groin. So we are advancing in the delivery aspect as well. And, and that's just in the therapy side of things. There's innovation takes a number of different forms from the technology that I just described to clinical innovation, regulatory innovation, business model innovation, there's, there's so much to be done when you think about that, that patient care continuum from diagnosis to rehabilitation, the therapy is just in the middle of that. Mm-hmm. There's, that, there's, that. There's a patient journey that, that starts with from identifying the problem all the way to how do you help recover from it that is all part of the stroke space that we need to think about and, and is ripe for, for innovation at a number of those stops along the way. And, and just before the therapy, and I referenced this already, the, the, you're, you partnered with uh, Viz AI, I think two years ago, um, yeah. to introduce a, an artificial intelligence component, which a lot of medical device sectors are doing and touting the strength of, and, and there certainly are applications there. But I, but in watching the, the video that you had on Viz AI and sort of what it brings to the, to the treatment equation, it's really fascinating. It really does seem to sort of, again, deliver care faster. Talk a bit about the partnership, if you would, with Viz AI and, and how does it help get, uh, get treatment to stroke patients uh, more quickly? 
Yeah, and this is all part of the time is brain discussion we were having before. Yeah. From the time that 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 patient arrives uh, at a local hospital, gets a CT scan, um, images are produced, images have to get read and interpreted. Uh, communication then has to to carry from that point forward, and 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 very often that patient is at a center that that can't perform the mechanical thrombectomy. So they then have to be transferred uh, to another location, all of that eating up time. The Viz AI technology and wonderful technology company is a software package that sits on the, on the CT scan using artificial intelligence. It identifies when a clot exists and it communicates to caregivers uh, to let them know that it's coming and, and just speeds up that communication it also has a, a technology called um, Viz Hub that allows that team of caregivers to communicate with one another. So when the patient arrives, they're ready for it. So it's it really is a wonderful technology and, and a really good partnership for us. And, and they they have a number of different modules uh, that they're working on, including one for um, for aneurysm identification. So there's a number of areas where we can partner together, but clearly artificial intelligence in this space um, will play a significant role. And we, we, you mentioned earlier, on, and I want to make sure I'm not missing anything. So I've, I focus primarily on sort of clot retrieval systems, but are there other parts of neurovascular that I'm missing of your business that, that are treating people at, at a different point along the, uh, uh, along the timeline? Yeah, there are. So there's two ways you can get a stroke. One is, is, acute ischemic stroke, which means you threw a clot. And that's mm-hmm. what we were just talking about. Um, and the other is, is from an aneurysm bursting. So you get a weakening in a, in a vessel wall um, and it creates a balloon of sorts um, that fills with blood. And, and over time, as blood continues to push into that sac, it runs the risk of, of rupturing. So for us, we want to prevent that. We want to prevent that aneurysm from rupturing. And so we'll go in and, Fill that aneurysm with material um, to to to, uh, to stabilize it. We'll also put that sleeve that I talked about before. It's called flow diversion technology, and that just makes sure that blood rushes past the aneurysm and doesn't press up into that aneurysm. Mm-hmm. Um, that's our pipeline technology. So, really, two sides of the house: the the acute ischemic, ischemic stroke, which is which occurs when when you throw a clot. And the other is the hemorrhagic stroke, which occurs when you have a, a, a burst aneurysm. So looking forward, where does growth come from for the neurovascular business? Uh, is it, uh, are you looking to get these tools into the hands of more uh, facilities? Because as you pointed out, there are some that, can, that have the ability to treat these patients, some that don't. Is your goal to make sure there are more who can treat these patients? treat these patients, where does the, where does the growth come from? Yeah. So we had a, and uh, near and dear to my heart, uh, we, we had a pretty major milestone just before the end of our fiscal year. Our year runs May through April and about three weeks before the end of our year. And we have a metric for, for arriving at an algorithm for arriving at this metric that uh, we helped treat 250,000 patients in the last 12 months, which was, was a great event for us and had a, had a big global celebration around that, invited internal employees and the physician community. And it was a, um, 
uh, a, a real us event. Um, but to your question now, we, we've got to figure out how we can double that impact over the next few years. And, and there's a good amount of that that will happen inside of the therapy and that we have good line of sight to of, of how we're going to continue to advance when the patient gets into the lab and how do we make sure they get the, the best result possible. Much of the growth is going to come outside of that. And, and how do we help that patient from diagnosis to lab get the therapy? That's, you know, as I mentioned before, there's 14 million that'll occur and 12 don't get to the lab. And so our growth will come from quite a bit of market development. Uh, there was just a, uh, a bill that was passed in the state of Ohio um, around stroke protocol fascinating that uh, that at this point if if you have protocol around trauma but you don't have protocol around stroke and so you're starting to see states lean into how do we make sure that we have protocol mm -hmm. around the number one number two cause of disability um, in in the country so that's really exciting and our, and our government affairs uh, plays as much a role as we can in, in helping to drive states toward that place and, and quite honestly helping the states facilitate uh, protocol development. Outside of the U.S., you've got geographies where it's zero percent. And so we've got a program called Immediate, uh, which is establishing stroke care at a very basic level. Um, within institutions. We did a pilot in Romania a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. We've got four or five countries that we're leaning into um, right now, working with ministries of health to establish very basic stroke protocol. But you know, to, your, to your question, much of our growth is going to come from, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get our, our bit of share gain for sure. And, and when, you're, when you're a technology leader like we are, that's certainly our intent. Uh, is to make sure we get a bit of share, but we're leaning pretty heavily into market development and in many respects, um, raising the tide for a lot of boats other than us, but that's, uh, that's our obligation. And, and final question. I've asked this about everyone. Just uh, Medtronic obviously has gone through a significant reorganization. I think most everyone else I've talked to has sort of had a before and after perspective, having led at least the core of a similar business. You're coming into this in this neurovascular business new as its president. How do you uh, how do you approach taking a, an entity that's that's just been sort of reshaped? Uh, and, and sort of understanding where it is, understanding where it needs to go and kind of leading it forward. What's your, what's your process as uh, as the president of neurovascular? Yeah, it's so the, the organizational change I think is, has been really good for, for all of us. Um, we were within a group structure before, which, which had some benefits as well. And this is, this is just a little different in that you've got 20 operating units that are, that are running standalone businesses and, and as opposed to being a part of a group structure. Now we do have our portfolio leads um, like Brett Wall, who is, who is my, my boss, and he's making resource allocation decisions across the Medtronic enterprise. So I love within the operating unit model that we have right now that I have front to back responsibility um, for, for the entire business. I get to, plow back as much as, as I like into R&D, and that percentage is the highest that it's ever been, so I'm really happy about that. 
but it also it also requires that that I look across our businesses and and with my colleagues, the presidents from the other operating units, look for synergies between us as well. And and that isn't necessarily a function of our structure as much as it is a function of leadership coming together and saying, hey, I think we could put our resources together in this way. So I like doing that too. And and certainly as as the largest med tech company in the world and with a collection of assets across our operating units that's that's really unique, it's it's in our best interest to see where we can try and bring those technologies together. So that's a lot of fun too. I love running my business, but I also really enjoy working with my colleagues to see where we might be better off together. Excellent. And uh, I know I said final question, but I did have one thing I wanted to ask about. I was looking at your <laughs> LinkedIn profile and I do this all the time. Uh, you were an entrepreneur in residence at the Yale Office of Cooperative Research. Uh, I'm not sure it yeah. says, says you started in February and you still are. You've moved across country. Maybe that's harder to do now, but how did that come to, 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 to be? And is that uh, an interest of yours sort of uh, uh, leading smaller efforts or helping to develop uh, innovative efforts? Yeah, it really is. And, and I get... Uh, I get a lot of joy out of working on things that either aren't there yet or, or could be better than they are. Mm-hmm. And so I, w- I was hooked up with uh, some folks at Yale who run the, that office of cooperative research. And, and they have a, a, a stable of healthcare executives that in most respects are phone a friend. So when they're, <laughs> when their physician community or their student community as startup concepts, uh, they look for for industry executives to have a conversation with, and and I love it. It it, it really scratches an itch for me. It's a lot of fun to talk about uh, the things that people are thinking about. The ideas out there are just mind boggling. You know, particularly coming out of an institution like Yale, and and so that's what it is. It's a uh, it's 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 a volunteer role. Um, and, and one that I really enjoy a lot. And, and no, there's no, there's no issue being across the country. It's all Zoom <laughs> and phone calls anyway. And, you know, once in a while, I participate in a panel with a number of other executives and, and, and we score some of, uh, some of the, the entrance and the ideas and all that kind of stuff. But I've been at it for, for less than a year and it's just, it's a lot of fun and, and, and an organization that's filled with uh, really good, smart people. That's great. Well, I, I suspect you'll be getting a, a lot of phone calls uh, going forward as president of, of neurovascular. A lot to talk about. So <laughs> yeah. thanks. Uh, I really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Uh, this is my pleasure, Tom. Thanks. Well, that is a wrap. Thanks again to Dan Voles for joining us on this podcast. Thank you, Resonetics, for sponsoring this podcast. And thanks to you, our listeners, for listening to this podcast. Do us a few more favors, would you? Please uh, follow or subscribe to this podcast on all the major podcast channels. You can find us on Amazon, Google, Spotify, Apple, et cetera, et cetera. If you subscribe or follow this podcast, we'll have future episodes sent directly to your listening device, so you'll be sure not to miss a one. You can also find these podcasts as well as our other podcast, Device Talks Weekly, on devicetalks.com. Just go to devicetalks.com and look under podcast, and you'll see all that we do in the podcast arena. Finally, please do connect with me on social media when you share this podcast, and we would love you to share this podcast on Twitter or LinkedIn. You can find me on Twitter. I am at MedTechTom. You can find me on LinkedIn, Tom Salemi, S-A-L-E-M-I. 
And finally, finally, please do consider leaving a ranking or a comment about this podcast on those podcast channels that will actually help other people find this podcast. We'd love to have more people listening. All right. Well, thanks again for joining us on this episode of the Medtronic Talks podcast. Tune in next week. Believe it or not, we'll have another great episode of this podcast waiting for you.